Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There we go. This turned out to be a really long episode, but I've probably got a lot of bits I can cut, like... The middle bit. <laughs> the middle that. bit the middle bit where you talked about showing your little boy penis to a crowd of adults no don't say little boy penis that's now now you've done it now you've done it hello fellow goatlingers welcome to the definitive goat podcast where we the greatest of all time podcast discuss and crown other greatest of all time candidates in their field. Classic goats that we have crowned include Chris Chan, the PlayStation 2, Dumbledore, and of course, who could forget goat classic, the devil himself. Now, if all that sounds great, which obviously it is great, then why not keep listening and subscribe to this podcast on your player of choice? Also, head over to Instagram for equally as brilliant thumbnails handcrafted for each episode, which you can find at the underscore goats underscore pod. Or, if you find us really incredible, head over to our Patreon and check that out as well. Dollar dollar bill, y'all. Anyways, enough of all of this. Let's introduce my other two goatlings, Seb and Vinny. What have you two been up to this week? Crack. Nice. Lots of crack. Good. Good good Seb? stuff. Am I moving in your video? And so it begins. Not more than two minutes in and Seb is already having technical difficulties. Hello, can you see me now? Oh yes, yeah, we there we go. Back. There we go. Oh my god, right. Your um, go. your um, really cool hipster office with like plants and shit everywhere. They probably need to get a better internet connection, I reckon. They do, yeah, they do, yeah. We were just discussing what we've been up to this week. I did crack. Nice. <laughs> Sweet. Well, do you know what I've done? Um, what have you done, mate? Not crack. Um, do you think? Actually, right, here's a serious question. Do you think you oh, could do brilliant. crack out of a bong? Could you crack bong? Could you bong crack? Like a regular bong? Yeah. Could you smoke crack out of a pipe? I don't think it would work as much. It needs to be a specific pipe because it needs to be hot enough. Uh, it, yeah. out of a it has normal to like bong, liquefy it and then yeah, gas it, it from be, liquid. It has to be a lot hotter. Don't ask me how I know all this, but it needs to be very, very hot before you can smoke it. Uh, peep show. Super hot. Do you not remember that episode where it's just, it's a, like a... 
how things work episode. It's just super hands telling you how to smoke crack. Hmm. No. Season seven, episode twenty, something like that. This is great banter. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> what have I been up to this week? Right, I have actually done a for fuck's sake. Because of Vinny being a little shit that he is, and he just fucking knows me too well. That's me. Yeah, that's you, Vinny. Since last week's episode where he discussed Sam Hyde, I've just been Sam hiding all week. <laughs> <laughs> I've just just been oh, yeah. like yeah. Just hoovering any Sam Hyde content. I feel like I'm already like a... What would be the Sam Hyde version of a Christorian? <laughs> I don't know. Because Christorians study Christory, don't they? <laughs> I, I'm yeah. trying to study Sam Hydery, I think. <laughs> and like Fish Tank. Fish Tank Live. That we, I think we, we must have mentioned it on the episode, surely. I did, yeah, I did. We did, yeah. Is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Absolutely. Probably the best... Probably the best thing I've ever seen. And I've seen Step Brothers a lot of times. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm also still obsessed with that show, to be honest. Yeah. So, and, you know, I was pretty mad at the end of last week. So I just want to apologize to the viewers for being so mad. Because you know what? You're only a fool would think KSI was more of a goat than Sam Hyde. <laughs> only a fool. So I'm not mad anymore. I'm chill now. I'm happier. That's good. That's good. So it's been a great week for me. <laughs> well, that's good news. Nice, nice. And have you two genuinely done anything other than smoke crack, or should we just um, I've well, been doing the exact same thing you have, just hoovering up Fish Tank Live content. Come. Right, yeah. That too. Basically, yeah. What have <laughs> I done? I've done some live stuff, but it's a bit, 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 bit boring. Well, it's not mm. boring, it's quite exciting, but it's not really pod... Pod life stuff. It's not very bands. Yeah. Uh, I bought a glow in the dark bong. Shit, really? <laughs> Sweet. Because mm. <laughs> it smoke crack. <laughs> well, that's what I was asking. Um, it's for heroin. <laughs> right. Let's get into this. Yes. Let's do this. You're gonna love this. You're actually gonna love this. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Lights, camera, action. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. <laughs> Bro. What the f- yeah. Seb, what are you sat on? Some regular ass, like, dining room chair? <laughs> <laughs> Some bloke. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Let me do it again properly, though. <clears throat> okay. It's re. It's because it's so funny. It's really hard to say. Is it really that funny? Go it's on. It's pretty funny. It. <clears throat> well, it's just the first three words that's the funny bit. That's the hard part to get over the line. What <clears throat> lights, camera, action? <laughs> yeah. Is that that funny? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Right. Lights, camera, action. That's right, folks. This week, we are going to be crowning the GOAT director. Remember, GOAT director. Don't get it confused with the WOAT director, a.k.a. the worst, that we've already done that one. And so this is like the opposite. This is the best. That's what GOAT stands for, greatest of all time. WOAT stands for worst of all time. This is the best one. And we've, 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 already, we've already done the worst one, right? And that's the point of the show. Like, we crown the GOATs of stuff, like, like what we're going to do today. We're going to do the GOAT director, but not the WOAT director, because we've already done the WOAT director. And this isn't WOAT. This is GOAT. This is greatest of all time. This is the GOAT director. Thanks for establishing that. 
Did you see what I did there? Did you see what I did there? That was exposition. Explaining something, and way too much exposition at that. One of the cardinal sins of good direction. Show, don't tell. Don't use too much exposition, like I just did there. Bad Mork! (laughs) And that is something that we are actually going to be discussing today. We're going to be diving into what makes direction and a director great. Hmm. Following the rules of film, Chekhov's gun, three-act structures and the 360 camera rule. Or maybe, what do I know, a great director doesn't give a fuck about the rules and just creates their own rules and breaks through all the fourth dimensions and the 360 camera rule and Chekhov's gun. Everyone's got a gun but never gets fired. Well, the answer to all of these questions are going to be presented by these two crack addicts here. Because they did, you, you said you smoked crack before, so mm-hmm. a I hope lot it's all right of crack. To you. Crack addicts. Mm-hmm. When they tell me their pitch for who is the greatest director of all time, so who wants to go first? Is uh, is Chekhov's gun that Alfred Hitchcock thing where, like, if you see a gun, it's like the idea is if you show a gun on camera, it it has to be fired in the at first some point. act. If you show yeah, a gun that's... on camera in the first act, you have to fire it in the third act. And it works, yeah. but it's, it's just a plot device. If you show something, yeah. like, for instance, me and Jen were watching a film the other day. It's called We Are The Millers. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's actually really funny. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, it just sets up all these little things, like they get stopped by these drug people, and like one of the drug things falls out. So then that's going to come back in the story, because the police officer is going to find it. And th- they were given this basket of fruit, and there was just a very small shot of like a spider in there. And the whole time right. we're going, like, where's the spider? Where's the spider? Where's the spider? All of a sudden, as we're saying, where's the spider? The spider bites the guy in the ball sack, setting up another bit of the plot. That's what, yeah, Chekhov's right. gun is. If you show something, you've got to do it. Because if they showed, yeah. like, the basket of fruit with the spider and zoomed in, I'm like, whoa. And then you just never then saw it never, ever again. Then it's like, what's the point? You yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You do what's occasionally the point? get that in films where they, 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 they create a plot device and then, and then they don't have time, so they cut it. And then it's just like, oh, what was that about? That's bad editing. Wouldn't Sometimes kind of like a, it. Wouldn't that huh? kind of be like a red herring, like so showing something like, oh, yeah. this could be important, red, and then it turns out it's not important. But with a red herring, slightly different, because you would you would go back and reference why it was not You the would thing. still check of it, because right. you'd still, like, you'd yeah. still like, tick yeah. it off the list by saying, oh, it wasn't that. You'd still, okay. It would still come yeah, back up. Right. Yeah, it would come back up, but as in like, oh, that's why he didn't do the fucking thing, because that wasn't it. Shit, now it's this. They wouldn't just okay. be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. who wants to go first? Vinny? Seb? Me. Seb? Any objection? I mean, I, I, I'm happy. Objection overruled, Vinny. You're going first. <laughs> I was saying I was happy. to. <laughs> objection! Throw him out of Right. I'm actually a bit scared of this script because I did write it very... It's probably the worst thing I've ever written in my life, but it's I'm quite passionate about it, so it might be really rambly. I re-listened to the Crystal Skulls one the other day. Oh, yeah, that was no, that was genuine trash. This is trash because <laughs> I, I haven't I, I haven't read it through basically. What was so bad I just about the Crystal Skulls episode again? <laughs> I not, had zero. Not that much. It was just short. <laughs> it was just a bit short. I had zero interest in the topic. That's basically why it's the goat prank. Do you know what the goat yeah. prank was actually? I've been going back and re-listening to loads of the episodes to try and find funny clips, and the goat prank was a really good one. Oh, really? So far, my fa- yeah, but so far my favorite and probably the best episode we've maybe ever done was the goat goat. 
Do you think? Really? Yeah, genuinely, genu- genu- go back and listen to it again. It's so fucking funny and on the nose. Like, it's not particularly informative, but it kind of is. And it's just hilarious. And we answer questions, and it's really, we're asked, it's a really, really good one. I found it hilarious. I like- I liked I liked when I made that that story about my goat having like this like going back to his wife and being like I'm gonna have to hang up the boots. Yeah, exactly. There's loads <laughs> of funny things funny. like that. It was really funny, and I forgot about Charlie Sleuth. Oh, Charlie Sleuth. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was great editing. It was really good. It was a really good one. Okay, nice, nice. Yeah. Okay. Right. I might have to. Yeah. Okay. Right. I stop beating up the bush. <laughs> I'm gonna beat up that bush. Um. So yeah, I don't know if you want to time me. I don't know what's going on with this. I'll time you. Seems as everyone gets on my back about the fucking timer. Yeah, I think the problem you is I've got like opening four paragraphs. Don't talk about my pick. Ready? Yep. Three, two, one, go. So when I think of the greatest directors, I kind of mostly just think of the greatest films. I don't know if you boys are the same. Yeah. And I feel like most people tend to do this, but like I find my favorite directors are just the people who directed a lot of my favorite films, mm. you know, and I feel, I feel like a lot of people are probably like that. But a lot of my favorite films and a lot of my favorite directors from that, I find the problem with that is they'll have a few good films, you know, like I think like Tarantino, I love him. He's probably my favorite director of all time. And I love his style. I love his, how he can just make a scene about nothing sounds so interesting because he's so good at writing a script like he's so good at dialogue yeah. it's it just makes everything really entertaining to listen to but i i i'm not going to lie there he hasn't had clangers but he's had like a couple mere ones like a couple eh not that amazing ones yeah like, i i actually Jackie turned Brown off was okay once upon a time in hollywood i actually turned off it was it was boring I liked that I one, really liked but Once Upon I found Jackie Brown a little, a bit boring. See, I I liked Once Upon a Time, and I liked Jackie Brown, but I found um, Hateful Eight really boring. Really? Yeah. I haven't seen Hateful Eight. Uh, okay, yeah. Django was obviously Yeah, I like Django a lot. The thing is, the bangers go hard. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. But, like, consistency, I think, is key in this scenario of like to be considered the greatest i feel like you got to be very consistent which is quite hard so i kind of just wanted to think outside the box here and i went for a bit more of a hipster pick i wanted to show some love to someone who not only had a an incredible amount of consistency in their filmmaking but someone who i wouldn't say has had that much of a spotlight on them and let's face it, film awards aren't really the best indicator of best films, usually, anyway. So, I went back to my list of my favourite films, and there was one on there from a certain director that I really, really like. All his films... Well, I've seen all of his films. Yeah, I've actually seen all of his films, and I thought all of them were actually at least an 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10. I think they're all... You've seen, you've seen all of all his of films? films. All of his films. I've seen all of his films, so I'm very qualified to talk about this man, not like metropolis that one time that's impressive because i was just i yeah i was just googling uh a film that i love because i know that he's directed a bunch of really really good films and i was like god i've only seen like two of these films three of these films that he's directed and i was like Phew. yeah the other ones might be fucking stinkers yeah 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 so the fact you've seen all of them is crazy well i mean it's not that crazy we might have only made one <laughs> not one oh, he hasn't yeah. only made one let's Made more than one. 
but not many more. So, (laughs) (laughs) so the fella I'm going to be talking about today is a potentially not so well known Japanese. We're going for. I knew he was going to be Asian. I knew. I had a feeling in my yeah, bones. Yeah, I thought you were going to go Park Chan Wook a, a minute ago. That's who I was just googling. The guy who did Old Boy and like the Vengeance trilogy uh, and stuff like that. No, I've only seen Old Boy. The guy I've picked today is a Japanese director by the name of Satoshi Kon. So Satoshi Kon was born in the city of Sapporo, 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 Japan during the early 1960s. Now, growing up, he was extremely passionate about animation would tell his fellow classmates that he would become an animator one day, much to the ridicule of a comment like that at school. And although he would make his start in the industry as a manga artist, claiming accolades from award ceremonies for his manga whilst he was still in college, he did eventually graduate to full-blown anime and would storyboard as well as be a key animator for random shorts and OVA episodes and that sort of stuff. And during which he would do a lot of the background art and script writing for this sci-fi anthology film called Memories. Now this film, Memories, is where Satoshi first became acquainted with the ideas of mixing fantasy with reality in a really creative way. And this is a concept he would develop further and further into his career. But... In 1997, he finally got his chance to direct his own film. Perfect Blue released that same year. An animated psychological thriller about a Japanese pop star who decides to make a career change and become an actress. Now, this was the film I was referring to when I was talking about my favourite films of all time. And this is the part of the script that I've written bullet points for. It's instead of an actual script because (laughs) um, I didn't know how to convey my uh, passionate feelings about this film into all oh, right you're too passionate <laughs> I'm about too it. passionate about it so a lot of what the film dives into is this kind of niche but in my opinion extremely interesting idea of the torment that comes the psychological torment that comes with having a sort of mega identity crisis because she sort of starts off as this pop idol and she moves on to being an actress and you know, it doesn't go exactly the way she's expecting. And she's doing kind of, she does like a couple sex scenes and she's just kind of gets disgusted with herself. And a lot of that stuff plays into it, like how she doesn't really know who she is anymore and and how how grasp of reality kind of slips more and more the, the further the sort of film goes on. And it's this psychological horror of someone, not only the horror of that, but also the horror of someone just coming into a large amount of fame um, quite quickly and how these sort of parasocial relationships that you can have with a celebrity can lead to some intensely terrifying scenarios. So, like, there's this sort of... There's this stalker that kind of is obsessed with her throughout the whole film and he ends up committing, like, these horrific murders in sort of, like, revenge of her because... You know, I don't want to get too into it without spoiling anything, but, and, you know, sitting here for 20 minutes talking about it, but it's (laughs) got that sort of slasher element, and that's from that, like, those themes of, like, being super famous and having being so famous that you have people online talking about me, you, and, like, having all these fans. And Mm. I think 
the film has basically kind of aged even better because these themes of like the parasocial relationships and like internet stardom stuff like that has only become more massive with the internet becoming more massive yes and fans being even more obsessed and wanting to know more and more about the personal lives of celebrities who they're basically never going to meet and how terrifying that can be when you get someone who's not you know all there and they get obsessed with you stalkers there's loads of that sort of shit nowadays isn't there like I was listening to the thing the other day that who there was a guy the guy who stalked like Bjorn yeah the Bjorn the Bjorn mm. the Bjork Bjork stalker Bjorn Bjork. the woman Bjork Bjork you always gas you always gaslit me into saying Bjorn and thinking it was Bjorn <laughs> Bjorn. <laughs> Bjorn. Bjork. Bjork Bjork yeah and then he like then he like wanted he wanted to like send a bomb to her house or something was that a thing he sent like a letter bomb didn't he and then they, it got intercepted crazy yeah. shit yeah yeah that's crazy man. Didn't that guy assassinate? He no, he tried to kill. Was it Nixon or Reagan to try and impress Jodie Foster? <laughs> what? I'm pretty sure the guy Jodie Foster. Yeah, the guy who shot. Who? Oh, give me a sec. I'm pretty sure the guy who shot either Nick. I think it was Nixon was trying to impress Jodie Foster. Jody. Does Jodie Foster? I don't even know who Jodie Foster Does is. Jodie Foster want to? She a big celebrity. Yeah, yeah. She she was in Taxi yeah, Driver Reagan. when she was like fourteen. It's the only film I remember her in. She wants to kill him. John, jo- does she, does she not like him? No, she was fine. So John Hinckley assat- tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan because at the time Jodie Foster was like an outspoken kind of activist, but he kind of mistook her political ideals for thinking because obviously he's a very extreme person very extreme mindset he then took that to be like well if i kill the president yeah. she'll love that whereas she was just like maybe stop wearing fur coats <laughs> and he's like got it know what you're saying mm. loud and clear kill the president kill the president yeah <laughs> yeah that's the thing with fame like you know we're we're all pretty famous now but like we haven't hit that level of fame of like the mad lot coming. Mm. I know. I know. It's difficult enough just turning the babes away from the door. Just every time we get I home. Know. All right, ladies, oh, put your bras back on. I'm I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> but luckily, no one sent me like a shit in a letter yet. <laughs> Not yet. Right. We tangent tangented a little bit there, Vinny. Carry on. Yeah. So another thing that I fucking love about this film, Perfect Blue. It, it it contains maybe the craziest 10-minute sequence in maybe any film I've ever seen in my life where reality and fiction and and dreams and everything that comes with all that is just blended perfectly. And it's like she's sort of going... It's towards the end when she's like really like everything's coming loose and she's going a bit nuts and she like she's like... She's doing this thing and like some horrific thing happens and then, you know, she wakes up. Oh, it was just a dream. And then she's like, she's, she's walking down and like a lorry like comes into her, like, like nearly like smashes into her. And then, oh, you know, that's actually just one of the films she's like, you know, acting in on the film set. And it just goes from this thing to that thing to the, and it's like this whirlwind of just incredible like animation and just like the cinematography is fucking phenomenal. Like some of the best I've ever Mm. seen in any film ever. Um, and it literally is so, so well, like, just executed. Another thing about this film, which is fucking ridiculous, 
is that it was made, and I learned this today, and this is actually disgusting. It was made on a budget <laughs> of one and a half million dollars in today's money. Whoa. How long is it? 90 minutes. It's a full feature length 90 minute film. It doesn't look like shit. It looks great. It looks it looks fantastic. Okay. Is it animated? Yeah, it's 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 an anime. It's it's, it's 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 really you would not suspect it was it was it was made on a tiny tiny budget like The Simpsons. It's what it's ten thousand dollars per minute, right? What do you mean? So, it animation budget roughly. It's ten thousand dollars per minute. That's what's that's what the uh, Zach Hader was saying. Well, I know The Simpsons cost five million dollars to produce each episode. Yeah, I know, but that's like mega scale, isn't it? This is like an average for an animation studio to do one minute of professional animating. It's like ten or twenty thousand. So actually, this film went over budget. Yeah, but that's like the absolute low end. It's that's trash. like shit doesn't happen. This is absolute yeah. bollocks. He's, he's overspent. <laughs> he's one and a half million dollars. How, how the fuck do you make anything on that money? Like anything half decent. <laughs> No, really, can't. No, one point five million. While I was trying to say like, oh, twenty grand per minute is because like I know from listening to anime is that animation is crazy expensive, crazy yeah. expensive. So to make a full length feature film that's good enough to be loved by millions of people, yeah, that is it's honestly for that little budget is crazy. It is ridiculous. The last thing I was just going to say about it is that the visual style is so striking. And so beautifully orchestrated that several Hollywood films, such as Requiem for a Dream and especially Black Swan, would rip off shots of the film. It's quite well, really, actually take take. You can find montages up. of um, Black Swan ripping off a lot of shots from Perfect Blue, like a lot really? of shots. Yeah. Do you know what? Like. Another tangent. I fucking hated that film when it came out. Everyone was like banging on about how great it was. I watched it. It was shit. So the fact that they were so shit that they had to reach up and steal from a genuine piece of art just further cements the idea that, you know what? I was right. Everyone was going, oh, it's so good. You just don't get it. And I was like, that's fucking rubbish. And they so stole common. their best bits. It's so common. when So when you... um, I worked at a place that made movie trailers and part of that processes like they'll make them they'll be like oh here's the idea for and this is just for a trailer and what they'll do is they'll go and find other films and they'll just cut shots from those films that they like and put it all together with like a backing track and like some visual style and be like this is roughly what we want it to feel like and it's super common for that process to to happen within films itself so like that's terrible they'll just cut like so like yeah like um, yeah, they'll just cut bits of movies and just be like, "Oh, that a bit of a scene that looks kind good. of like that." Do that with our actors, yeah. And they kind of, and it just becomes this like, and and sometimes that can be really amazing, and sometimes it can be terrible. Like, well, it depends if it's an homage. Yeah, mm, fine. But if you're just going, "Oh, that's what I like," so we're just going to do that, but with you guys, no, that's fucking rubbish. That's not creative. That's not good. It's a huge problem. It happens with. Um, with music as well uh like what will happen is directors will cut and edit a film using music they've just like torrented online and it will be really slick and sick and it will work really well and then the studio like doesn't have the budget or they can't get the rights or they just mm. don't want to spend the money so right, then you yeah, so they so get the composer to just do it and it will sound like there's like there's whole 
there's clips and clips and clips of this on on YouTube of like mm. here's the original and here's the kind of knockoff version they did for the film. Yeah, yeah. Because they couldn't pay for the rights, so they couldn't afford it. Motherfuckers. It's really annoying. But anyway, after this masterpiece, Satoshi Kon mm. would release his second film in 2002 by the name of Millennium Actress, which is sort of loosely based on the lives of a couple of uh, real-life Japanese actresses. And as much as Perfect Blue is a sort of horror and critique on the whole, you know, stardom, fame thing, like Hollywood and all that, yeah, like the, yeah. the bad stuff that comes with that and the fandoms, Millennium Actress is more like a love letter to it. And it's very, like, it romanticizes and, like, really celebrates cinema and actors and everything to do with that. So the film would have, again, like Perfect Blue, a lot of themes of mixing reality and fantasy together. As it's sort of, the whole thing's told, sort of like Titanic, it's sort of all told from the perspective of the the woman and her, like, her life as an actor in all these, like, crazy films. Right, and, yeah, yeah. Because a guy comes to interview her because she basically completely stops, you know, at the, at the height of her, like, popularity, she's like, she stops acting and she's like he finds her years later and he's like what basically asking her why and she just goes through the whole of her life and while she's yeah, yeah. recounting her life um <clears throat> it's like spliced together the film she's in whilst she's like living her life and stuff like that and it's so like expertly like edited and just i don't mm. know almost like choreographed but i guess it's not choreographed if it's animated but it is well, i think it, i think you could say it was yeah yeah definitely. Just like the inventiveness of like the editing and mm. just the shots yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and cinematography are so fucking good, honestly. The whole film is basically just like an epic romantic f- like film and is genuinely very emotional and tear jerking. So after that, Satoshi would make. Hey. After that. Hey. <laughs> it's actually really sad. It's like really like it's a like bittersweet sad. I've kind of thing. films before, it's fine. And I'm fucking hard, you know. You are cried fucking hard. Did you? That, every man cries yeah. at Lord of the Rings, though. If, when that, they that, go in. Yeah, when that, when that scene where he's like, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you! Yeah, you're like, And if that bit doesn't get you crying, it's like you're already so hyped up from all that emotion of the ending of Return of the King that when they go on the boat and, like, Merry and Pippin are crying and shit and Frodo's like, God, and you're just like, bruv... I already had this, bro. <laughs> Remember, Seb, it's normally Christmas. You've had fucking loads of pints. <laughs> You're watching it for like the millionth time and you've done the whole thing in a day. <laughs> I just, I don't know when the last time I cried at fi- I do, I have cried at films, but hmm. it's weirdly... Something that always gets me is the bit where it'll be like an epic battle makes me cry. I don't know why. Like when, when, the, when the reinforcements arrive... I'll start. Mm. It, may, it gets me emotionally. I don't know why. I do not know why. Well, brace yourself because when you have children, you'll notice that all the films that you love, like when something horrible happens to a kid, you're like, oh no, no, <laughs> that you'd never thought about before. And those things get you. Yeah. Interesting. I bet. It I ruins bet. a lot of films. Yeah. Like Orphan? That ruin Orphan? <laughs> orphan? I've not seen Orphan. Boy in Striped Pajamas. No, you can't say that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. Then he cut that. I, I, I always thought that was a comedy until I, until, until, until I had kids. That stays. There you keep that. Okay, right. I can't even remember what Vinny was talking about. Go on, Vinny. So, next up, his third film, Satoshi Kon would make, uh, I think it was in 2003, 2004, a film called Tokyo Godfathers, which I was actually going to pick at first for greatest Christmas film um, when we were doing that a while back. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a Christmas film. Extremely charming. It's about these sort of three homeless people who don't fit into the cracks of society for whatever reason. Mm. Uh, and they have their all like individual reasons and pasts, like, you know, terrible, tragic pasts, essentially. And they find a baby on the street of Tokyo. And essentially, the whole film is their mission to try and find the parents of that baby. Mm. And this is the only work that Satoshi didn't use this whole blending of reality and fantasy and stuff like this, but it's still like, it's just a really nice Christmas film, very warm hearted, like feel good about people who are kind of outcasts in society kind of coming together and having this like faux, like family, I guess yeah, like, yeah. With, with them, even though they're not related at all. They're just like, they just happen to be traveling together, but then they, yeah, it's it's very it's a it's just a really 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 like charming film, um, and then in two thousand six, Satoshi Kon would release his last film. This would be called uh, Paprika, and it would release to a huge critical acclaim. And if there's any of his films that anyone's heard about, it's probably Paprika. In his own words, this was the film that perfected his blending of fantasy and reality as it centers around a new form of psychotherapy which utilizes dream analysis to treat mental illnesses. So throughout the film, this concept is kind of realized in the fact that you don't know whether it's a dream or whether it's reality. And a lot of people are doing like, it's a lot of right. very crazy dreamlike states happen and so the dream world comes into the real world and it makes some of the most visually stunning scenes I've ever seen put to animation, like, ever. It's so... The inventiveness of just the the visuals alone is so fantastic. It's incredible. Mm. Really, really well animated, the way it just, like, warps and bends reality, and it's really cool. And the film definitely seems to be a massive inspiration for Christopher Nolan when he made Inception. It's I was about to say, really? is this the film that it's Christopher Nolan ripped like, off for Inception? It's oh, a lot no, like Inception. Chris, a no, lot. what the fuck have you done? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, because dreams, reality, not no. God damn it! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God damn it, Chris. Sadly, as Satoshi Kon was working on his next film, uh, a children's movie called Dreaming Machine. He was diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer in 2010 and was only given a few months left to live. He chose to live out the remainder of his days with his loved ones and died later that year at the age of 46. Fucking hell, that's young. Yeah, yeah. And he made four films and I didn't talk about it, but he made an anime series, which I I haven't watched, but I've heard is really good. Um, So taken too way too young that's the thing yeah yeah just to wrap it up satoshi Kon didn't have all the awards i mean to be honest half his films, sort of the first 
one or two of his films didn't even do that particularly well in the box office it was only kind of over time people saw them were like oh wait a minute this is actually a really good film yeah, and he sort yeah. of gained this cult following he was a man who was inspired not he was inspired by everything film related not just japanese films but he was really inspired by like american films for example like the tokyo godfathers thing is very much an inspiration from an old i think it's an old western with like clint eastwood or something about three guys who have to raise like a baby they find like a baby and they have to like find the parents or something right okay yeah his style was very grounded it was very realistic very uncommon for anime at the time or anime in general and he had a passion for all types of genres as evidenced by the fact that all of his films although a lot of them do contain this sort of fantasy reality sort of uh, narrative throughout them they're all different films like the mm. first one's a psychological thriller horror about like the you know trappings someone becoming fame, a star yeah. the trappings yeah. of fame the second one's like the complete opposite where it's like the beauty of cinema and how incredible uh, like the world of acting in cinema can be and then the third one's just, you know, a lovely heartwarming Christmas tale. The fourth one's this crazy sci-fi thing of just mad shit happening. And they're all just very different films in their own right. His experience working in almost all forms of the creative process allowed him to confidently take control over all aspects of his films, whether that be his ingenious editing, his wonderfully beautiful storyboarding, or his thought-provoking scripts. He was a master of it all. Satoshi Kon would treat his audience with respect and never spell out any of the messages he had. His work even inspired other Hollywood directors, and his fascinating interest with the blending of reality and fantasy was second to none. He never made a mere film or project. His consistency was frightening, and that is why he that's why I believe he is the greatest director of all time. Thank you, Smiley Face. Nice. It's like a little love letter to the guy. Fair play. Yeah, I do like him a lot. I really like that because initially you don't think of like animation as like having real people behind it. You think they'd be animated? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, because like there's like a veil, isn't there? I feel like it doesn't feel real. It feels like a computer just made it up. But then when you realise, no, it actually, in some regards, it takes more direction to direct an animated film because you have to imagine every single building, every brick, everything is all from your head to put down on the paper. Whereas when you go on to a film set, like the building, they're there. And if you go and film in New York, you go, all right, I want to shoot fucking this guy in New York. New York's just, it's there for you. Everything's already kind of done. Like the guy's face, the actor's face is going to look like the actor's face. You might put some makeup on and stuff, but it's going to look like that. Whereas when you're an animator or directing anime film, you have to, every single thing, every single pin, like, pencil to the paper line is on purpose. Does that make sense? So, like, you're actually directing way more of the movie because those things don't exist in, real, in like, a real space. That's how I kind of feel. But, like... I mean, casting's still a thing and set design's still a thing in real life. I don't know. But I see what you mean. But I, there's also a lot less, like, improvisation, I guess, like, with a... Yeah. Yeah, in, yeah. I, that's the thing is like i guess in in an animation there is no 
there's no hiding behind the talent of your actors or anything like that. Like the ta- the actors still have to be talented to like read the script and perform the script and convey their emotions. But very very rarely are animations done where all the voice actors are in the same room. They normally do their lines, lines separately and lines. stuff like yeah. that. So yeah, yeah, you don't have that ability for like, oh, if I get these two guys in a room together. Something will happen. The energy is you know going to go mean? great, and you're not really directing. You're just saying, "Go for it," you know. Yeah, you don't like have Christopher that in the same Nolan. Way. Like, let's. I, and it, yeah, that's a great uh, point, Seb. Like, um, the Joker from Christopher Nolan's um, Heath Ledger. Yeah, he just fucking went crazy. Like, he that's got. Film. Yeah. That's got nothing. Christopher Nolan's not there going. Oh, excuse me, Heath. Right. What, what I think you should do is like do like this kind of facial expression. Do like this. He's not directing. He's just letting no. him go because he's the master. Maybe that's you know, a good direction on his point by having there, the ability to be able to do well. that. But like with animation, it's crazy that you are, you, you don't have that. You can't, yeah, you can't hide behind that. You're really in control of everything, which is really cool and a big props to him. And also I just love the fact that he didn't stick to like one specific thing. Like he did four films, all very different, like uh, messages, yeah. all very different genres. That's a great sign of a good director as well. Cause like someone who's a shit director, like Michael Bay, it's just right, guys. We're doing Alvin and Chipmunks this week, but explosions. Every single Michael Bay film is exact same fucking thing, right? Yeah, because I, I, because I was thinking of doing like maybe Martin Scorsese, and I'm like, like I love his films, and he's very consistent. He's been making films since like the 70s, and they're all yeah. at least good films. At the very least, they're all in their own right very mm. entertaining, but. He's kind of made the exact same film over and over again. Same yes. thing. Tarantino's kind of just makes action films. The same film. You know what I mean? Over, yeah. It's and that's very fine similar if films that's your style over and you're very good at it. But to direct various different styles done well is another. And doing it another, so well. Yeah. Like yeah, he did another, it so like, well. Your bow. You know, that's a really, I would really say, good talent. Uh, this actually isn't my pick, but someone who doesn't get enough credit for doing that is Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott yeah. does a lot of very different films and he does them very, very, very well. Yeah. Did he do Gladiator as well? He, he did, did Gladiator, Gladiator, Alien. He did a film that I didn't realise was Ridley Scott the other day. I have to look it up because it's going to really He did American me. Gangster. Which, oh, like, really? Yeah, they're, they're all a specific... They are blockbustery, but they're very yeah. different. They're, they're yeah. Gladiator is very different from American Gangster, which is very different from Alien. Yeah. He's done a lot. He did the Martian. Yeah. He's done a few space stuff. He did the, yeah, I he did also the Marsh- thought Ridley Scott was um, Ridley from Alien for ages. I thought it was a chick. What, I can't remember what her name is because she's called Ridley. Oh, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. In, oh, she's called Ripley. <laughs> oh, fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, because he's just done Napoleon. That's probably why you're thinking of him as well. Because he's, oh, he, he's just done Napoleon, he, yeah. I didn't know he directed that, yeah. Which, again, is mental. Like, that's not like... I mean, it's a bit like Gladiator, but it's not very similar to... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, mm, that yeah, range no, yeah. is impressive. I, I think that's really impressive. He did I Hannibal. Oh, he did Black Hawk Down. Yeah, he did Black did Hawk Did he? Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? I didn't he know He did G.I. Jane. Don't tell Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he done. Yeah, Blade Runner, Alien. Oh yeah, yeah. he did Blade Runner. Wait, the yeah. Yeah, yeah. first one. No, no, he did twenty forty nine. No, he did both. He did yeah, nineteen eighty two. First one. I, I'm changing my pick. Really, Scott's the greatest director of all time. Scott, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Yeah, these are the little. Oh my. Yeah. Christ. And you yeah, haven't picked really him, Seth. 
No, I actually haven't, no. Fuck! We haven't picked the best director. Damn it. <laughs> well, the rest of this might have to be the second best director of all time. But no, yeah, Vinny, okay. that was a great pick. Never heard of him, never heard of those movies, but I'm interested. I'm, really, I'm going to be looking up YouTube compilations of the shots, the sequences from like the Inception thing. I'm just probably going to watch that movie, to be fair. The last one sounded really, really good. What, Paprika, yeah. yeah. I think you'd like um, Perfect Blue as well, because it's like a, just a really good psychological thriller. Yeah, I like that shit. And I I like that, like, another cool thing about him is it's obviously very socially, like, commentated. You know, there's a lot of social commentary. And, like, in the South Korean directors, they love that shit as well, don't they? They love that social commentary stuff. Like, um, Parasite's, like, the famous one that everyone knows from, like, yeah. nowadays. But going back, like, you know, that's when they kind of went mainstream. You know, people kind of knew who these guys were. But if you look at their other films, there's loads of social commentary with all of them. And they're really good like that. But, yeah, yeah. Great pick. Anyway, Seb. <laughs> Seb, who have you picked as the greatest dictator of all time? Yeah, so Idi Amin. If it's not Hitler. Uh, what a guy. <laughs> Ugandan butcher. <laughs> no, who have you picked as the greatest director of all time? And can I guess, is it Tarantino? Well, let me get there first. So... <laughs> right. <laughs> Look. It was a genuinely, I really got in a stew about this because mm. I really like films, mm. but I would say I don't know as much about film culture or about like film, like picking apart films as a lot of people who say they really like films. Like I don't know anything about Pavlov's Gun or whatever it was. I did do film studies. I didn't do very well in it. Pavlov's gun. Every time he rings a bell, he shoots a man. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Um, But yeah, so like, I felt this kind of pressure to pick like a really, what's the word? Intellectual. Intellectual answer, yeah. Mm. And and then kind of pick the right answer. Um, And and it made it even more difficult because like Vinny said, like you can really like a film, but you might not like other films that person's made yeah or you might like a film but it's not necessarily a good film it's just a film you like like and that's where it gets really difficult is like you know there's become this like idea of things being objectively good Mm. well Well, you like a film but you've never heard you not care about the guy who directed it because it didn't really make the film any better yeah exactly or even more confusingly like yeah you might like a film but not like it for the same reasons that other people like films and so you kind of get a bit like eh so then I had to think about I had to think about what I think makes a good film and then what I what director I think makes films like that. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I don't really like like film as the as the as the medium. I like cinema, I like blockbusters, I like movies. I don't mind like a long, slow, emotional drama film. I don't mind that from a film. Mm. But if I want to watch that I'd I'd watch it on telly. If You'd I'm going to watch the Fast cinema, and Furious. No, not Fast and Furious, but I'd rather watch something that makes use of cinema. You know, right, that short time. I, you yeah. know, you've got 90 minutes, two hours to fucking show me some crazy shit. And <laughs> I like films that kind of put you in the perspective of, of, a, of a person that you wouldn't normally get to, to feel. You get to watch something that makes you... You get. I like escapism, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I don't really like films that are overly grounded in reality. I like something that that pulls me away and makes me go like, Jesus Christ, that was insane. Mm. You know, we've already done this bit, but I started thinking about Ridley Scott. I thought, you know, he's done a lot of different films that I really like. Hey, um, pick, you 
Yeah. But I also kind of he has got some stinkers in there. They are they're not all his films are really good. There are some stinkers in there. Hmm. The same goes for Steven Spielberg. I love Jaws. I love Indiana Jones. Saving Private Ryan, really good. Mm. But again, E.T. They're not all good. E.T. I overrated. What was that about? Little fucking should be E.R. for overrated, what? mate. It's not E.R. for overrated. <laughs> E.R. Oh, oh. <laughs> There's a really infamous thing that. Oh, it. That's it. Spielberg is listed as a producer for the Michael Bay Transformers films. Hmm. Mm. But there is a big debate among film fanatics, the film community, about how much actual impact Steven Spielberg had. Because they were like, they're they're very divisive films, aren't they? The Bay, The Bayverse, Transformers films. I actually, I have to say, I love them films. I do like them, but they are shit. They're guilty pleasure movies. But they're not. This is, and so this is what I was coming to. Like the, the films like that, I, I, I actually really. Oh, there's one you like here on uh, Spielberg's thing, sir. Actually, you'll really like this. Auschwitz. <laughs> he did do the Boy in Striped Pajamas. Um, you liked that? Yeah, I think so. Really? Um, Men in Black Three. Yeah. Easily the worst Men in Black. I think he produced that. I don't think. He, I think you're getting oh, yeah, these are producers. Stuff he's oh yeah, that's what I was looking at. Yeah. Hmm. God, he's produced some horrible movies. But yeah, like I, I actually disagree that those Transformers movies are very guilty pleasure. If you get something from them, if they give you joy, if they make you happy, if they make you laugh, if they just give you a bit of something, that's fine. And well, I, I kind yeah. of actually, I, I actually, I really resent the idea of like guilty pleasures within cinema. It's the same as songs. Like, there's nothing wrong with a good pop song. Don't think you're better than it. Just enjoy it for what it no, is. No, I'm not saying it's better than it, but equally you can think it's good and I can think it's guilty pleasure and it sucks like shit. But it doesn't suck. It's fucking Optimus Prime beating up Megatron. He's got a big sword in his arm. It's sick. It's just cool. You don't have to pretend it's not cool. I, I like him. I can. I enjoy I watching him. I think it's them. cool if you're exactly. like 13. I don't know. No, it's not. It's cool if you're an adult, but you've just been brainwashed and, and, and gaslighted into thinking that you're not supposed to like it. Would you... No... I would I would just rather watch only the robot scenes in those movies. Yeah, that's what I do. I often go onto YouTube and just watch compilations of just the Transformers fighting. I don't and skip w- everything else. Yeah, I don't. The watch- whole movie's terrible. Yeah, I just want to watch like Bumblebee fucking mm. fight Galvatron. Yeah, just, you know, that's great. It's, it's great basically fun. mindless fun, mindless blockbuster entertainment. Yeah. nothing wrong with it at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but then I, you know, I started thinking about those kind of films who makes the most of those kind of films like just fun fantasy maybe a bit of sci-fi really pulls me into a universe and into just nonsense and then the answer was pretty clear i've even got a tattoo of it star wars it's george lucas (laughs) the greatest living director of all time no (laughs) He has directed three great films, three more not very good films, and then he sold that franchise for billions. Genius. No, I'm joking. It's Quentin Tarantino. So, (laughs) I want to start by saying, and I said this actually earlier. That was a really good sell. Thank you. I want to start by saying, I don't actually, I already said this, I don't like... did waste nearly six minutes for that sell, but there we go. That's fine. Um, I... 
don't like all of Tarantino's films. I'd say I love four of them. I like two or three of them, and I didn't really enjoy two of them, and I've not seen one of them. But that's not the point. The point is that I like Tarantino as a director. I don't necessarily like all the films he does, but I like his impact on film, and I like the way he makes films. And my favourite thing about Tarantino is he doesn't take himself too seriously. He doesn't think he's clever. He doesn't think that movies should be anything more than a great movie. And I think often people put an image onto him of this kind of genius auteur filmmaker, but he himself just sees film as exciting as fun and he he looks for what he finds fun and he makes those things part of that is like i think he as a director has a very good eye for what is cool for what is fun for what is exciting and you know he talks a lot about how he he was brought up with really young parents i think his mum was like his parents were real young, like 17, 19 when they had him. Mm. But he didn't like grow up in like a trailer park. Like they were relatively well off. They were like parent kids of like people. His name's fucking Quinton. Yeah, exactly. Like he wasn't, <laughs> but but they were just young. They were just young. They were like high school yeah, sweethearts. Yeah. And so he, they would take him to the cinema when they were going out on dates because they were still like, not kids, but they were like teenagers. So he he grew up watching kung fu movies and action movies and horror movies and rom-coms. And he talks about films that he saw way too young and seeing Jaws as like a young kid and stuff like that. I think, no, maybe it wasn't Jaws. He watched some horror film like way too mm. young, but he kind of fell in love with them. And he puts the things that he enjoyed in those films into his movies. And what I think is really interesting, and I, I will circle back to this, is I think that... People often see the very blatant homages to other films as they're the moments when he is honouring cinema. But actually, it's not. They're the moments when he's on the nose going, I really like that film. Mm. The moments when he's honouring cinema is when he puts incredible villains against incredible heroes and uses incredible action and makes incredible violent scenes and stuff like that that is the moments where he's honoring cinema not the bits where he's like oh look i'm shot for shot remaking this scene from a film i really like because Mm, he honors cinema by making sick films not by referencing them sometimes in his films um wasn't reservoir dogs uh, almost shot for shot remake of uh oh some sort of asian film i forget which part like japanese maybe i'm not sure I'm actually not I've, sure. It's like pretty much a... Oh, with the whole Mr. White... Mr. It's like a Yakuza movie it's like or something. M- more or less a shot-for-shot shot remake, I've heard. It's like basically a remake of like a Japanese film. Yeah, it very well might be. But his films are filled to the brim with action and swearing and sex and violence and romance and cars and cops and cowboys and Nazis. It's just all the things that films are made captivating and well no but they are (laughs) if you want to pick the most villainous villain you pick a nazi because you know who you're fighting yeah yeah devil or the nazi yeah yeah yeah. what's his name lander lander something Uh, he was a a great villain yeah exactly and so good i think a lot of people see quentin tarantino as a very talented man who writes amazing films and directs in a very clever way and then indulges in things because he can. 
I think that's how a lot of people see him as almost like a as a genius who's kind of fucking about because he because he knows he can. He can put blood and gore in films that are genius and really well written because he's like, well, if I write Django Unchained, you've got to let me blow someone's head off because I've written you this amazing film, so fucking let me do whatever I want. But I actually think it's the opposite. I think that what's really clever about him is that he uses the gore and the action and the violence to make such a captivating story for instance in inglorious bastards that first scene with christoph waltz when the jewish family are hiding under the floorboards and christoph waltz is there with his pipe because you know that it's a tarantino because you know it's an 18 and you know what you've signed up for you know that if christoph waltz finds that family under the floorboards you're not just going to see them a shot of them being taken away in a car you're going to watch them get their fucking heads blown off so you're tense. You're mm. genuinely tense. You're like, oh my God, this really, really grim thing could happen at any moment. And the same goes for Django Unchained. I tell you what, I've never seen a piece of media that makes those slave owners look as absolutely vile and like such a bunch of cunts as that film because of the language they use and the brutality yeah. you hate them it's not hinted at it's shown to you and a lot of people explicitly would, yeah, yeah and a lot of people would say that that's explicit it's almost it's like exploitative it's 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 drawing people in i think it's real like i like i i i subscribe to, yeah like i think you're right Seb. i subscribe to the idea of like if you've got a war movie and nazis are the bad guys like show the actual horrible stuff they did exactly not because like oh i want to see like the bodies in that it's because it should shot and, and if you're repulsed by it good yeah because that's we- good. that's the idea it's more that's impactful. what's real that it was real that really happened this is a film <clears throat> that happened to real people and it should make you think like you know, it, a film like that, not every film, you know, fucking Transformers are not going to do that, but like a film sometimes should make you think and feel different emotions and make you come away and go, wow. That's like, I'm going to think about that for a while. And I think, yeah, Tarantino does that well with his violence. It's not for the sake of it. Yeah, it's kind of strange about war films because in a way, every film about a real war is kind of really exploitative in a sense because it's like yeah. you need that war and those atrocities to be committed to make this good film. Like... You know, Schindler's List is about the Holocaust, which is a horrible thing to happen, but it's a great film because it, it portrayed it so well, but it's like, it's yeah, weirdly exactly. exploitative. Interesting, it, I think. Is it exploitative? Because, like, it depends on the intention. I guess, in a way, it's shining a light on it and showing could, people yeah. the horrors that really happen. If your intention is like, right, guys, let's make a Holocaust movie, make fucking millions. Or if your intention is like, as a director, like, I want to show how really bad it was and shock people into thinking like terrible because i've you know you might can't take from like a personal experience like i've never seen a war film that shocked me really so i want to i want to be the one who makes a war film that feels actually real that's not hollywood that's like fucking actually down to the grit people walk away crying because that's what really happened you know mm. that might be your intention as a director i don't think that would be like exploiting that would be a yeah, shining a light yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Uh, I was actually going to talk in a minute, but I, I can talk about it now. Is like he he does make what the definition of an exploitation movie, but 
I never really realized until quite recently that an exploitation movie, it sounds bad, but it, it isn't necessarily bad. It's a style of movie that Quentin Tarantino grew up watching. And they're just movies that pick on a cultural phenomenon to sell a movie. Something that mm. will entice people. It exploits a certain factor. So whether that's nudity or violence or swearing or drug use or appealing to a specific group, say, you know, there's black exploitation movies and Latin exploitation movies, movies made to appeal to a certain demographic. That isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just a specific yeah, no, thing and yeah. and i think he does that really really well i would say like going back to django and going back to the violence that's shown in that what i found really interesting mm. is that when that film first came out there was a lot of not backlash but a lot of critics and a lot of reviewers saying that the violence in that was too explicit it was too extreme it didn't need to be there and that he was kind of being exploitative of what happened to those enslaved people by showing that to sell a movie. See, I just don't get that. Well, this is the thing. And what I found really <laughs> yeah. interesting is loads of civil rights groups and yeah. uh, black historians, hist- historians of what happened to black people during that time came out and were like, how fucking dare you? He showed what happened. If you can't yeah, bear yeah. to watch that, that's on you. But he didn't make anything up. Nothing that happened in that film was pretend. If anything, it was probably still a dulled down version of what really used to go on. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. But he showed it for what it was. And as a result, it's so powerful at the end. And it's so thrilling mm. and exciting. It's not powerful. It is emotional, but it's fucking cool. When Django goes on that rampage at the end and he's just walking through the house with those two pistols, just fucking murdering everyone. You're <laughs> just like, you fucking get him. You can't like, yeah, it's so yeah. like, it's insane. That line when, um, who's the guy who plays the old dudes, the Samuel L. Jackson. Guys. So when that line when the Samuel Jackson comes in, he's just like, I count six shots, you know, N-word. Yeah. And then and then Jamie Foxx's character's like, pulls out another gun, like, I count two guns, N-word. Yeah, and then he just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's sick. And the bit where um where the, the woman of the house, like the, the, the wife of the house comes out and he's like, say goodnight to Miss Dorothy. And she's like, goodnight, Miss Dorothy. And she just goes, boom, and just like fires her <laughs> through the wall. <laughs> yeah. It's just incredible. <laughs> But yeah, and like, this is the thing. And, and Quentin Tarantino produces these moments in these films that somehow, despite everything that's going on right now, they seem to feel fresh. Like, even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his most, I know you found that a bit boring. I really enjoyed it. And it still like it. pushed boundaries. But in a way where I, or every time, and I'm sure he will fuck up. Everyone fucks up sometimes. He will miss the mark at some point. He may have already missed the mark in a film. But I always feel like, I never feel nervous showing someone his films because I always feel like I can back anything that I see in them. Even if it feels extreme, even if it feels explicit, I can always say, well, no, that is what happened. That is what people say. People do act like that. You're supposed to hate that person. You know, and, and, and yeah, like, yeah, for instance, yeah. one of the most uncomfortable scenes personally for me in cinema is the scene where um, Django, Christoph Waltz's character and Leonardo DiCaprio's character are sat there talking about buying a Mandingo fighter while there's two guys just having a fight on the floor. Oh, and yeah. they're just and like, he gives, him like a hammer. He gives so him like, like a hammer. And he's yeah. like, he's like, they're like not even talking. They're not even really watching. It's just like happening in front of them. And it's grim. Yeah, like yeah. you're supposed, it's supposed to make you feel grim. 
And it does. Yeah. And and the payoff to that is that he then murders all those people. And it's really satisfying. Yeah, it's more cathartic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I could go on and on and on and on and on about this. But I'm You're basically done. I'm basically out of time. So I will yeah. just okay. say that, finish with this, which is that Quentin Tarantino, for me, is the reason I fell in love with movies, blockbusters, cinema. I signed up to film studies at uh, A-level because I thought it would be a laugh and I would get access to cameras to make YouTube videos. That is why I signed up. I thought it would be cool. Um, and then on the first day of class... Or, and film porno. And film porno. And one of the first days of class, I don't know if it was the first, but my teacher put on Pulp Fiction and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, whatever. Like it was one of those films that everyone said you should watch and I was like, oh, yeah. mm. just be some wanky nonsense bullshit overindulgent, over-arty film that I don't care about. And there's that first scene where Honey Bunny and Pumpkin, I think they're called, are chatting away about, you know, robbing the place. And I was like, oh my God, this is shit. They're talking for ages. It goes on and on. I feel like everyone's experience of a Tarantino film the first time is like, when are they going to fucking do something? They're chatting for eight. And then all of a sudden, someone like gets their head blown off and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Oh shit. Uh, And then then you're kind of hooked. And then the talking gets more interesting and then something shit happens and then all of a sudden Bruce Willis is in a fucking gimp mask and you're like what? Well yeah and that, you know for me like the, the the moment I was like I mean, I remember it made my like hairs go on and was the bit it's the bit right after that long conversation and, and they decide to rob the place and the guy I can't remember his name but he stands up and he's like everyone be cool this is a robbery and you're like oh this is so slick and badass and it's so clever the way the woman I can't remember her name she drops out a shot to get the gun and she pops up and she looks almost like a Muppet. She's so, like, bouncy. Yeah, And she yeah. says that line, like, if any of you pricks move, I'll execute every goddamn last motherfucking one of you. And then it goes, cuts to, like, And I just was like, I remember just being there and just, like, being like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, this is insane. And it just went from there. Like, that is why I love watching films. That's why I get excited about watching movies. It's because I want to mm. feel like that again. I want to watch something that makes me go, oh, fuck, that was sick. And, like, it doesn't mm. happen all that often. I'd say Tarantino for me, this is my last point, but you know when you're on, you're out, you're listening to some sick drum and bass, and there's that moment where everyone goes, oh, fuck off. Like, there's just a really slick moment. Mm. He makes me do that but in films like there's there'll be a right, moment yeah. he'll do and it's just so fucking on point you're like oh that was sick that was the coolest yeah. thing i've fucking ever seen i want to see it again and it'll never get old and that's what mm. he does for me i don't know if he does it for everyone else but that is why i'm picking quentin tarantino as the greatest director of all time very bait answer it's the answer that everyone was expecting me to go for i don't care i fucking love it I did predict before we before you got on. I did say to Vinny, I said he's he's gonna pick Tarantino. Yeah, he did. And then I was like, oh shit! I actually haven't checked who you guys are gonna pick. Over. It's not the same person. And Vinny was like, it won't be. Yeah, it won't <laughs> I was be. like, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, damn. Yeah, I love Tarantino. Um, yeah, I didn't. I've not seen all of his movies. I've not even. I've not seen Reservoir Dogs. You know. It's all right. Mm. Yeah, it's, not like his, it's not his I best like film, but he wouldn't. I, I, like I think it. he probably wouldn't seen... say he was his best film either. Like it's, he's still working stuff out. It was an independent movie. For a he start. also two and a half. It was like two million budget. It's tiny. Yeah, he really? also that was when he was like yeah. working out the whole like beginning, middle, and end, but not in that order thing. And it just does it too much. And it's like a bit non-linear like, storytelling. Yeah, 
Whereas like Pulp Fiction, yeah. it does it right. Whereas this one, you're, you're just like, where are we? Which bit? Uh... It was a very experimental because he was really trying his hand. So he also broke the 360 rule. So there's like a rule in cinematography where you shouldn't ever have the camera point where the camera should have were, was previously pointing. Okay. Not specifically. So you can go any amount of degrees, not 360. So like you can shoot from one side of the table and the other side of the table, but never from the perspective you've literally just shot at. Okay. So as if they were looking at each other. So if you shoot over someone's shoulder... And then you want to shoot the other side of the table, shoot over like their other shoulder. Yeah. Rather than at the opposite shoulder, because that just looks really weird. But then in Reservoir Dogs, he's got this scene where like he spins the camera around the entire table and it goes round everybody again and again and again. So it's just at some like at every point the camera's facing where it was previously facing on the other end of that circle. And people were like, Whoa, what are you doing? Can't do that. Oh, that's a cool shot. And he was like, why not? Yeah, it was a cool shot, but like it was kind of like, oh, you, you can't break the 360 camera rule. Like, yeah, you can't can if you do shit. it like well enough. I think like, exactly. That, that, well, that's, that's the that's the point that he proved. It's yeah. like that 70s show, or whatever they do that, don't they? Where they sort of less like the camera goes around while they just like talk about random yeah, shit yeah. when they're like getting stoned. That's what my yeah. the, um, the thing I think about like anything like that. It's not just Quentin Tarantino. It's like you can if you're good enough. Like if you're good enough, you can break the rules. And if you're not good yeah. enough, you'll. There are any rules If you're anyway. not good enough, you'll try and it'll be shit, and that's okay too. Like, it's, you know, you just give it a bash. Mm. Like, that he does he yeah. does break the rules, but I don't think it's even that explicit. You're just like, huh, yeah, fair enough. There are any rules. It's not like it's the law of the game, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they're, they're not exactly super hard and fast, I think. Like, if you, no. know, if you understand them well enough, you know how to bend and break them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know how to make it. If you're. If you're a master of cinematography, you must have... If you're just holding a fucking camera, shaking it around, you should probably, yeah. I was going to say, the one thing I'd say that... You know, and I said before, I'm pretty sure Tarantino might be my favourite director. I'm with you on that. I, I think he's got a very slick way of making films. And I love the dialogue he writes. I think it's endlessly entertaining. I'm not... You know, I, I only love maybe two or three of his films, and then I like most of the others, uh, except for uh, uh, Foxy Brown, whatever it's called. Jackie is, Brown. Jackie Brown, I thought was a little bit meh. But I would say I think his films are very male-centric. I feel like they're they're very violent, in-your-face, and stuff like that, explosions. But I think in a way that's very... Well, I think that in itself is quite male-centric. I'd say they're way more popular with men than they are with women. I don't, I don't know if I've ever really even met a woman who likes Tarantino, whereas I've met a lot of guys who do. Is what yeah, I'll say. I'd... Whereas I'd say Satoshi Kon writes female characters really, really well. Like, really, really well. And he's a dude. But then you could, I think, like, in a way, it's like that is in itself an exploitation movie, isn't it? You're, you know, you're exploiting the likes and dislikes of a certain group. But I would also argue that thing of, like, I mean, I don't know if it entirely fits. Firstly, I think I do know women who like Quentin Tarantino films. Okay. Um, my yeah. mum really likes Quentin Tarantino films. Okay. Uh, the woman who used to drive me to school, I remember talking to her about Pulp Fiction. Luce quite likes, uh, she really liked um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know. But I think there is an element of like, he, I would never, what's the word? I'd never hold it against someone for just making what they think is cool. And, you know, he is a man who grew up watching Kung Fu mm. movies in the 70s. So that's what he makes. And, mm while that might not appeal to everyone to the people it does appeal to it appeals very well 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other thing I really like about his movies. It's unheard of for people to put such budget and to have a director who's so well known for making films that are by default only available, at least in the cinemas, to people. I think all of his films are 18, if not 15. You know, again, that's unheard of. In a time mm-hmm. where every film is made to be watched by everyone. You know, mm. when you go into a fucking... They all Mar- get PGFI, don't they? Yeah, you yeah. go into a Marvel movie or a fucking Fast and Furious, you know you're not going to see someone's head get blown off because you can't. Because it's Marvel a fucking... It's, it's a 12 or... A, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to yeah. be in there. And so, like, I think... I I actually kind of see that as a positive, not a negative. Not, not to say that I think his films are male-centric. I actually think he's written... Mm. I think his... I would totally agree with you his first three films, his first two films, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, the women in that are not written well. They are not. They're, all the women in Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction are annoying. There's That's a woman their main in, role. in Reservoir Dogs? I don't even remember that. Yeah, there's a woman in... She is... Ah, <clears throat> uh, fuck. I'm pretty sure... Is it... What's it, Tim Roth that is in that movie as well? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he has a girlfriend at some point okay. who's quite annoying. Okay. His, right. And, and the, the Bruce Willis's girlfriend in Pulp Fiction, so annoying. She's oh, just yeah. annoying. She's a bit That's useless, That's a whole fucking character trait. She's yeah. just exhausting. Mm. But Jackie Brown, he'd heard that criticism. He turned it around. A lot of people see Jackie Brown as like a really strong female lead. She's like a really powerful character. Yeah, she's mm. she's bad. But again, I kind of think the film is slightly I like mere. the chicks in um, Inglorious Bastards. There's some really good female oh, characters yeah. in there. Yeah, like the Nazi yeah. revolution. True women they're really good exactly um, true i'd say Mar- margot robbie in in once upon a time as well she's like the only yeah. person in the whole film with her head switched on everyone yeah, I else is... remember that movie because i was i watched it until the point where he's like done the meme and i'm like oh that was cool and then i realized that's probably the only bit i've liked up until this point <laughs> you know I, was what? Tired. So I, was like, I might watch the rest tomorrow but i never did you've got to watch once upon a time in hollywood like you're playing an rpg it's not about the end it's about the journey it's just a film where you just sit he calls it a hangout movie it's like i did like some of it i like the bit in like is like they're shooting like a western or something oh mate that's so good that was okay when he he makes himself act when he like has to pull his finger out yeah 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 but a lot of it was just i can't remember what it was going on about so that's not a good sign but Mm. i i love i do love like i forgot how much i love django and um inglorious bastards um fucking incredible and you're talking about them because I love that like Ryan Howard from The Office is like one of the Nazi hunters in Inglorious yeah, Bastards. BJ yeah. <laughs> yeah. Novak. Um, and I love like the bad Jew. That's all like great stuff. Oh. And one of my f- absolute favorite scenes in any movie ever is the scene where um uh, like Michael Fassbender and I can't remember who else is there. They're like undercover in that bar. Oh yeah, and he goes. He does the wrong. He does, he does the, the, wrong... the the American three. Yeah, because it's, yeah. it's it's like three. um, it's like a this is a really long scene. I want to say it's like half an hour, but it might not be. It maybe it's like I, fifteen I think... minutes. But like your t- your mm. perspective of how long a scene is in a Tarantino movie gets a very little bit tense. jarred because they're very long. Yeah, but it's like on the edge and every time you think oh my god they're gonna get caught they're like oh they don't that kind of doesn't lead anywhere then that then you're like fuck yeah that is a absolutely fantastic bit of cinema and i also like that he does he does show actual what happened like i don't like watering down or 
like this is a really weird example, but loads of people were set calling out the um the new Jimmy Savile BBC series, saying it should oh, yeah. never have been made. It should never have been made. And I was like, why? Why should it never have been made? It really happened. Like yeah. when when bad things happen in the world, should we never ever look at them ever again and pretend like nothing ever happened because of the sake of offence or should we deliberately be offended so that we're reminded of all the horrible things and appreciate all the nice things about the world and put our hatred in the right way do you know what i mean i i i very much agree with don't just cancel history look at it and look at all the bad shit that happened it's like how they they purposely teach kids, like all kids in this country, about the Holocaust at like some point because yeah. it's a f- brutally horrible thing that happened, and we have to remember that we it have happened, to remember it, so we don't so it never have any again. sort of repeating because it's exactly, yeah. and it's not even just about like no sort of repeating. Like, people are always going to do horrible shit, but just to te- just to inform people, like this is the really bad stuff that's happened. Yeah. in history like. and this is what people are capable of exactly and I, I i like i credit to tarantino that he doesn't shy away from that i need to make a decision because i also love i also love vinnie's pick i love vinnie's pick as well because i think directing animation is really difficult i think not having any clangers is a really good thing social commentary he did only make four uh, yeah, yeah i know that's, that's, that's what thing. i'm trying to but that wasn't his yeah, fault i'm not i'm not holding that against it wasn't him. his fault he had a very short career he only made four films, but he made four very different films in very different genres, and that's a good skill of directing. Did a lot with a little as well. Like, all, I think Millennium Actress yeah, also yeah. was made on like one point five million, and then the really next one was made budget, on like yeah. t- two and a half million. Like, very little money. I still, every time someone discusses budgets for movies, I'm like, if you gave me one point two million, I'd make you fucking apocalypse now, mate. Are you joking? You, <laughs> you really wouldn't. <laughs> you can make you like, can make a one of scene ha- of that yeah. film with one point two. Halloween, million. like think of Halloween as like a proper big blockbuster movie, right? No, that cost three hundred grand, but it cost three hundred thousand pounds to make. They spent the entire budget on the camera. Yeah, yeah. the one they only bought one camera, and it cost three hundred grand, and that was in like nineteen eighty. Well, yeah. In 1976. Think how much, Seb. You, if you if you wanted to buy a camera, you'd be, you're the type of cunt as well. But I've got to shoot it in IMAX because IMAX is trash. They're like a million each. Yeah, no, I know. But I love... I. What's <laughs> mad is how much of like a gambling thing filmmaking has become, which is where like a studio is like, right, we're going to spend half a billion on making two Fast and Furious movies and then we just hope that they gross two billion back. And then they do, and then they're like, right, just double down. We'll spend a billion making the next one, and we'll make four billion. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, stop, <laughs> stop. I know, well, that's kind of come back to bite um, Marvel in the ass, hasn't it? Because their, re- their latest releases have gone terribly, and they flopped incredibly difficult. Although, I'm sure they're probably still doing all right off the Avengers. But anyway, we need to make a decision. Um, oh, right, okay, I think that the greatest director of all time i don't know if i'm i don't even know if i agree but i can only pick what you two have suggested i suppose i think i will pick i think it will be have to be quentin tarantino yeah with and i'm gonna try my best to remember his name because i respect him i know his second name's con satimo con satiyama con Satoshi. Satoshi Khan. God, I was close. We've actually a very close second. A lot closer than the audience might believe. 
because I mean this genuinely. Like I love those kind of social commentary movies, like Parasite, and like fantasy blurring the lines between reality. And I love the fact that his movies are so good, despite being so underground. That like fucking Black Swan, which is a piece of shit, ripped it off, which proves how good it is that they thought to rip it off. And that's a movie that loads people loved. You really should give uh, a couple of his films a watch. I think, like, yeah, you I can watch Perfect will. Blue someday. I want to watch Perfect Blue for the rest of my life. Maybe I love we come that up film. to the BP and just and just watch Perfect Blue. Yep, I'll be down for Ever that. Ever since you showed me Old Boy, Vinny, you know I was like, holy shit, foreign cinema is fucking cool. <laughs> so yeah, some good films. I love that. But um, yeah, so a very close second, and it's funny that you that the homage thing, well, not the homage, ripping off thing, is there because I actually taught we taught uh, our son today. He said there's a kid at school who keeps copying him, and we were like, and he said it's really annoying, and we said, mate, that's because he thinks you're fucking sick. That's because he thinks you're so cool. He wants to be just like you. Yeah. He thinks you're wicked. Like he just wants to be you, basically. Um, and that is kind of the same thing. The fact that this really underground guy that, you know, like you said, they weren't blockbuster smashes. They're kind of like cult films now. Inception, I think Paprika you know. did well. I think Paprika did well, but I don't think the others did But still, like for Christopher well. Nolan to like be like, oh, that's a good idea. Hmm. You know, it says a hell of a lot about you. So it's a very close second, but with Tarantino, he's kind of... I was like, oh, I was like I'm not going to pick it because there's a basic answer. But then I was like, but is it just objectively a, a great answer? Like probably, yeah. I like that he's experimental as well. Yeah, exactly. Because I like that in in that kind of stuff, like having done like, you know, studies of things and like knowing about rules and stuff. I like that he experimented like very, very early on with like breaking the rules of cinema, trying to do his own thing because he thought it was cool, like not really giving a shit what kind of everyone thinks, just doing his own thing, it being cool and kind of going with it. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't always hit. And sometimes no. it does. And with Tarantino, like he, like yeah, some of his movies are really dialogue heavy and can be boring. They might be boring scenes, but he's he's experimented with that dialogue. Like Vinny said it's some of the best dialogue you'll ever hear. Like the opening scene of Glorious Bastards is like ten minutes of two guys sat at a table just talking to each other. Yeah, that's it's horrible. Isn't the opening of Reservoir Dogs also like ten minutes of them talking around the the table in the cafe or whatever, and they're just like talk about how like. Uh, I don't, I don't tip, you know, I, and all, yeah. and they're just talking about that. But it's so, but it's it, weirdly entertaining. It grips even you it's, incredibly. Yeah, it's exactly. a conversation it, about almost nothing. Yeah, and I think that that shows a, a a great director because if you put that in anybody else's hands, that they wouldn't have done as as great a job, or they would have gone, ah, oh, you know, people are going to find it boring. So explosion, <laughs> like you know, whereas he really does pace things out how he wants it to be, and how he wants it to be just so happens to be a way that the audience fucking loves. So he's obviously... The way is in his mind, he's doing something right because people fucking love it. So, yeah, it's. I feel a little bit bad. I've got a bit of a bad taste in my mouth because it's a little bit, like, basic bitch mode, which picked Tarantino, and I knew you'd he's fucking a great pick him, he's, a great director. He is a great director. He is a great director. So that's been Goats. We've just done the greatest director of all time as Quentin Tarantino. If you like that, or, you know, if you think I'm chatting total bollocks, let us know in the comments or subscribe to this podcast or let us know on Instagram. Mork, you're a fucking idiot. You should have picked him. What about Ridley Scott? What about, you know, the guy who directed Shrek? You know, what about my pick? It would have been Adam McKay for the masterpiece of cinema, the greatest film of all time, Step Brothers, which I proved to Seb the other day is a masterpiece of cinema, the cinematography, all the shot compositions, everything. It's, it's brilliant. Um, but anyway, I've been Mork. I've been joined by Seven Vinny. 
and join us next week for more fucking twaddle. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Love you, bye.